Welcome to Center City Overtime. This week we talk about Ruach, all things the wind of God. It's incredible. Make sure that you tune in, share, subscribe, do all the things. Let's get it. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message and a very little time to talk about football because that's all my heart can handle. Okay, so we, we got we to talk. This needs to be addressed at this point because <laughs> my fandom experiment, uh, experiment, and to my defense... I mean, you weren't calling it an experiment. My application. Okay. We'll call it what it is. I'm, I'm not <laughs> trying to back out. Okay, I'm not trying just, to back out. Just checking. I do want for the record to say that the thought was this was a perfect time because I didn't feel like the Panthers were going to be incredible. It didn't make me feel like I was jumping on any bandwagon. It's not a bandwagon, yeah. Right, right? Yeah. Um, now, did I know it was going to be this bad? No one did. No, and then at this point, uh, producer Dom is all but blame me for the season. <laughs> yeah, I think only a little bit. Only a little. Bit. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like the second touchdown in for the Lions yesterday? You texted the whole staff to be like, Pastor John, we reject your application. <laughs> me and my dad were just talking about it. I was literally typing it, and he said, "Yeah, I don't know if you're gonna want Pastor John to be on your team." And I was like, "I'm really just now sending a text in the group chat." <laughs> Listen, I'm a winner. I'm a winner, dang it. <laughs> I just don't pick winners. You know what? It's okay. I think it's time that we get some things ironed out. So I've called in our local fandom expert, uh, Pastor Joey Gerard. Um, Joey, you mind coming over here real quick? Uh, Joey uh, lurks in the shadows. And um, he's going to give us a little bit of insight. I got a couple questions. Joey, um, I don't know if you've been paying attention. I'm sure you have. Uh, to this thrilling fandom application process that I'm going through. Yeah. Um, we need to solidify some things. So what are the, the top three things right off the top of your head that makes for a good fan, that's that like, like almost a requirement for me to be a part of the Panthers nation? As someone who's not part of the Panthers as nation. As someone who's not, just as a good sports fan. Like you've been a Steelers fan your whole life, right? Yeah, basically. All, from what I can remember, I've always really enjoyed watching them. Yeah, and they've won more than the Dolphins and the Panthers combined. So let's just be... They had some tough years, too. They did. They did. Mm -hmm. Under um, Mike Tomlin, we haven't gone under 500. They but. haven't had as tough a year as we're having right now, but, you know. And 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 honestly, like, they have some of the most diehard fans in the country. So with that said, just three things. Like, John, if you're going to be a Panthers fan, here are the three things that you need to do in order for you to be accepted. And not that you're the final word, but I think you're an impartial judge to set the standard. Uh, I mean, to be honest, I think this year is a great space for you to be accepted into because they've had such a terrible year. Yeah. That if you continue to be a fan and watch them possibly go 0-17, um, make it through the whole year, then yeah, I, I would say you're accepted into the fandom. Okay, so point. watching is one. I got I to gotta watch the product, which I did. I watched the whole game, even at the end, even when you had shut it off and Dom had started playing with video. I had shut it off because I had a meeting. You had a meeting. For Center City Church. <laughs> you had a meeting because they were losing so bad. Let's be honest. This we're going to call it all out. We're going to put of it time. to the carpet. <laughs> you would have totally pushed that meeting to four if we were up 31 instead of being down 31. No, the meeting was at four. <laughs> <laughs> See, so Dom probably shut it off. Were you, were you uh, hitting a workout? By the second half? I ain't gonna lie, I went to sleep. <laughs> there you go, see? So technically, that's number one. Well, you guys are already fans, so that's understandable. Yeah. Beating them and, and I even listened on my drive to the meeting at four. Okay, so watch, number one. Yeah, number two? I think watching is the, is the big one, too. I guess is, is kind of just being up to date as best you can. Yes. With kind of what's going on. And I'm trying to be, 
Um, I wasn't sure about the injury. We had an injury in the first quarter, right? Mm -hmm. That was pretty nasty. So I wasn't too sure about the impact that would have on the team. So I got to do a little reading and figure out kind of, I do know for all intensive purposes, uh, our offense has just got to figure out the penalty. So some of that's offensive line. Some of that's just time. So I'm, I'm learning the product. I'm learning the product for sure. What do you think a third thing has to be? Uh, I, probably the third one would be some swag. Okay. Or um, I don't know what else the Panthers have. Rally the towel. Have a towel so All right. I have a terrible towel. So one day I'll towel. tell you why I think terrible towels are a terrible idea. But um. well, you go to a Steelers game, that's all you see. I know, but then it stops people from clapping, so it actually makes them quieter, and they think they're contributing, but they're well, not helping as to, much. You don't want to be loud on offense. But on defense. And to be honest, I've gone to Miami Dolphins games where there were more terrible towels than there was anything <laughs> else. <laughs> so. You see more terrible towels. Yeah. Pretty intimidating. Well, I, I, that, gives me, that gives me a standard. Uh, do I watch? Am I up to date on the product? And what's my Panther swag game look like? And this week will be the true test because this week we have the Panthers at the Dolphins. Yes. And yeah. um, so we'll talk next week when we record. And if you're still with the Panthers, you have my vote. I'm not the only person on the application committee. But um, <laughs> if you're still a Panthers fan after Sunday's potential blowout, maybe. <laughs> I know I'm going to get like a fins up text from Dwayne Agard in the middle of the game. So we'll see. We'll see. But that, that kind of concludes our Panthers moment. Okay. Um, and Thanks, I'm, Pastor Joey. I'm actually opt, uh, excited. I, I'm, I'm a little optimistic about our chances I this week. I also just want to make sure the Center City community knows that on Wednesday, the day this is dropping, will also be Pastor Joey's birthday. Yes. So Ooh. happy birthday. Happy birthday, Joey. Happy birthday, Joey. We're sorry you're a Steelers fan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Funny. Well, and here we go to the message. Let's go. This week's um, was the first week of a new series that is called Ruach. Oh, that's how many, how many syllables is that <laughs> word? <laughs> Yeah. Listen, I'm not I'm not pretending to be an expert in Hebrew, but it's been a lot of fun trying to say the word <laughs> over and over. Have you noticed if you go back, I I think I counted two or three different ways that I said the same word. Well, I even did that voiceover <laughs> yeah. that was like 30 seconds long and had it four times and I said it four different ways. Yep, so yep. we're just doing our best. Um, but I thought it would be good before we kind of dive into the particulars of Sunday, just to give an overview of what is encompassed by this Hebrew term, oh. ruach. Yeah, so I, I, I knew you were going to ask this and I probably should have been better prepared. It is such a dense definition. Um, it's one of those words that Quite honestly, it's used to describe the supernatural. And whenever there's a description of the supernatural, often those definitions tend to be very dense. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, in the beginning of Scripture, right at the right up front, when it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the earth, the word it uses is ruach. One of the definitions is the Spirit of God in divine power. Um, it's when when the Scripture talks about. Um, um, when the scripture talks about uh, rejecting the Holy Spirit, that, that's the word that it uses. It uses that term ruach when it talks about the person of this, the Holy Spirit. It also talks about the spirit that's in us that relates to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were just studying Ezra, and I found it really uh, fascinating that the word ruach is actually used to describe how the king's heart was stirred because there's something in him that was stirred by the hand of God, mm -hmm. that thing that was stirred in him, his spirit, um, they use the, the phrase ruach. It also is used when defining wind or breath, um, the breath of God, the breath of man, wind. Um, 
so there's a couple definitions for it, but often the thing that they have in common is it's used to describe the supernatural, the miraculous, the unseen as it pertains to our spirit or the spirit of God. And I think um, for some people, it's really hard to think that one word encompasses all of this because when we read our English translations, someone has made a choice yes. every time that that word is used. And so then it's hard to think like, how could this encompass all of these meanings? Or why did someone choose breath here and spirit here? What would you advise someone who's just kind of wrestling with like figuring out what is this Hebrew word and why do I see so many different translations? That's why I'm excited about this study because I think it, I think we teach this as we walk through this. Um, a word in and of itself requires context. It requires a sentence. Um, it's got power to some degree, but it depends where you place it. Um, like the word love. I can use a phrase like, man, I really love your sneakers. That means one thing. Um, I love you to death means a totally different thing. And is it is it bad that we use the same word? I don't know, but the Sometimes. the power, the tool of that word, the use of that word is made known in the sentence you place it in the middle of, mm -hmm. the story that it's a part of. Um, you know, even again, back to that word love that we use constantly. How many times have you read a story about love? They use the phrase and it draws you to tears. And then there's other times where the word love is stuck in the middle of a funny sentence and it drives you to the point of laughter. Like <laughs> I'm thinking of that old SNL sketch with Chris Farley and David Spade where he's talking about loving french fries. And oh, then yeah. he goes, if you love them so much, then why don't you marry them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah there you go. That's a good, good, good yeah, example. That's a good example. But <laughs> I do think it's important. Sorry for my terrible Chris Farley <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to get a fat guy with a little coat. <laughs> <laughs> I was all in. Um, but Dom has no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> He's too now. Um, but no, I do think it's important to understand that. Yes, words absolutely have power. But specifically as we're examining scripture, remember there is always context. And it's important to read before and after to get a picture mm -hmm. of what the word is really intending to mean. And that's really what we're going to do in this study which I'm excited about. Yeah, and I think we also have to remember, at the end of the day, language is always going to fail to fully describe God and the supernatural because God is so big. Like, there's just no way for human language, whether it's English or Hebrew. So we're doing our best to get a way that we can understand some of this, that we're just always going to know there's some mystery to who God is. Yeah, we've never really had a problem historically using language to try to describe supernatural with the understanding that language will fail. Mm -hmm. There's a part of this that science can't explain, that language can't formulate. So we try our hardest to stick a bunch of stuff into one word in order to mean the thing we can't really put words to. Yeah, yeah. So for us, this series, that word is ruach. There you go. You nailed yeah. it. <laughs> try it. We'll see. Um, so this week in particular, you talked about the creation of the world and how that, um, that story can kind of impact how God works in our lives. And you used this really powerful imagery of a blank canvas and, um, just like how a blank canvas can be intimidating, yeah. which is kind of interesting because you think of it as this like freedom. Oh my gosh, there's so many things. And then sometimes if you look at a blank canvas or I would even say like for me, 
the way I artistically express myself is usually in terms of writing. So it would be that blank page or even that like cursor on the blank yeah, that screen. blinking cursor can um, be yeah. paralyzing. I've actually done sometimes where I just like write stream of consciousness for a whole page that has nothing to do with the paper just so then I can start the, the actual writing and it's not blank. But um, so there is this kind of tension of that freedom, but then that intimidation. Will you talk about what it means for, for God to create out of a blank canvas? Yeah. Um, so I, I think, first of all, the idea that we have a creative God is, is introduced right off the bat in Scripture. Like, the first thing we know about God is that he hovers over the formless, dark, empty, and he begins to form through his breath, which I just, the picture of it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um but what it means for God to create, um, for us, it, 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 it kind of means several things. First of all, that we can trust that we have a master creator. And, and like in art, there are two things that are necessary to achieve that level of mastership. You need technique and you need vision. Um, technique means I understand the medium. I, I know all the strokes. Vision means that I can see what no one else sees, right? Mm-hmm. So... I know what I want to create. I'm moving towards a goal, a picture. Uh, an artist without vision is doomed to just repeat. P.S. This is where I feel like the enemy of our soul lives because I don't think there's a creative bone in his body, but he's got the technique down. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he works in that place of counterfeit. He works in that place of copy. We've talked a little bit about kind of how the enemy's plans often look very similar but he can't be creative in that way. He doesn't have that foresight of vision. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about our creator is not only is he a technical wizard, when you consider the intricacies of how we're created, it screams of the master's mark, like the intricacies of our cell, the way that our anatomy is formed, the way that our circular system works, the way that our vascular system works, our muscles, the, our breath, the way that our mind knows how to f- f- how all this functions in one way, like the I, and this has been messing me up all week. The idea that my lungs know how to move, and yet I don't really know how my lungs are moving. They mm-hmm. just do. Like that's that just speaks to a complexity that's beyond the chance of accident. It speaks to a master builder, and then vision wise because he's the god who was is and is to come because he's the god who uh works in yesterday today and tomorrow he has not just vision for what is he has vision of what was and he has vision of what will be so technique and vision makes him a master creator and then the second thing it means to us is how do i get myself in the place that i'm the best canvas for his work yeah, that, that was such a great segue to my next question, because I was going to say, like, after our actual physical creation, which all of us know we can't contribute to the way that God creates us physically, because, you know, we're little cells slowly being grown. But um, how, do we, how do we maintain that um, blank canvas nature to allow God to work when we do have a little bit more agency over our lives? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't have my notes in front of me because uh, we had a light uh, dumb. But <laughs> producer dumb, got some camera time this week. Um, but I believe it's Ezekiel um, that there's a scripture, specifically the way that he writes it as it pertains to Ruach. He mm-hmm. says that 
he uh, breathes into our heart and then he defines our heart as stony, but then he says that he's made our heart tender. And in, mm -hmm. and in essence, it could be said that it's tender, responsive, and willing to follow. Mm -hmm. And I believe ultimately that that's the position of a good blank canvas, that it's tender, which means it's not holding offense. It's not holding bitterness. Bitterness and tenderness will keep you away from this, the hand of the master stroke. Like there's, there's a point where um, if we're bitter and there's resentment, we even resist the master's work in our lives mm -hmm. and resist his, his molding. Um, and then it's tenderness and then responsiveness. That's so interesting. I think of that, like that rain guard stuff that you can put on things that bitterness and offense kind of function that way. Yeah. If we are canvas, like if we're using that metaphor still, that it almost creates this barrier so that whatever, whatever the artist attempts to put on just kind of like bounces off. Yeah, the enemy of clay is uh, heat because mm -hmm. it saps up. Eventually it becomes a friend because it hardens it, but in that state when clay is being formed, and often I feel like it's that resentment and bitterness that uh, dries our soul. Mm -hmm. So that tenderness is critical. It's funny because it's critical in clay. It's, it's in a lot of artist, artistic forms. In cooking, tenderness is mm -hmm. absolutely critical. No one loves, you know, <laughs> yeah. tough meat. Except the process of making that meat tender is not always... No, um, it's not always the easiest. <laughs> and, and quite honestly... It's kind of fun if you're cooking. Yeah, but in quite honestly, usually when things have hardened, it requires a season of violent, and that's probably the wrong word, but a, a hard season mm -hmm. to knock out some of that bitterness and resentment in us. With clay, yeah, you have to drown it. can feel very like internally yeah, violent. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then so that's that's uh, tender and then responsive. It requires a heart that's free of distraction, which quite honestly was the part of this message that messed me up the most and where I struggled just personally the most mm -hmm. because I I you know I was even um, talking with Jess and Ashley this week about my struggles with focus. I think if I would have been diagnosed at a young age, they would have labeled me ADHD. Um, all the cool people are. Um, just kidding. It was a joke. Um, but some of my struggle with focus, I've just had to maturate to a place where there are just seasons I know it's creative mode. And if, if creativity doesn't come after, out of me, I'm in, I'm, it's going to hurt. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a challenge to kind of navigate that because when I'm in that place, one of my the negative responses to that, if I'm not being creative, I need to numb myself. So... I got to be careful. Some of that is distracting. Like I, yeah. I'm not, everything becomes a distraction and, and I can't sit down to do a budget sheet because mm -hmm. I, I want to draw, I want to paint. I want to, you know, oh, look at that crack on that wall. That looks like a face. It, and it's, <laughs> it's funny because I think creative people, people who maybe struggle a little bit with focus know exactly what I'm talking about. What is not important takes precedence. That's what distraction is, right? So I, I think, think... I mean, you use the budget sheet as an example but I think we do this at a larger scale oh, than just like the task that we might feel is the right thing to focus on to follow what God's asked us to do. But I think we can distract ourselves away from even hearing the voice of God or recognizing the presence of God. Oh, absolutely. Prayer, mm -hmm. reading, um, relationship. There's times where we push away relationship in seasons of distraction because I'd rather just, it's just easier for me to sit in the house and watch Netflix. Mm -hmm. I can, this is like maybe going to mess up people's heads. I can use reading my Bible as distraction from time with the Lord if I am not allowing it to read me or like 
hit a heart level, that can sometimes be, I do this when I'm wrestling with shame and haven't gotten to the point where I'm ready to release that, where it's like, well, I'll do that thing that I know is a good thing to do and I'll read my Bible, but I'm doing that so that I don't actually have to like sit in stillness with God or just like open up whatever it is that I'm feeling ashamed about in that moment. Um, yeah, so uh, across the board, I think, Again, a heart that is set, a good blank canvas is a heart that is tender, a heart that is responsive, and then lastly, a heart that follows after him. And that, that requires discipline. Mm -hmm. Like following after the Lord, I think sometimes we get this picture of like, you know, frolicking through the forest holding hands and <laughs> you're in love with him and he's in love with you and it's all good. There are times where it's just flat out discipline that pulls you to the right decision. And so a heart that is set before the Lord at a place that looks like a blank canvas is tender, responsive, and ready to follow. And I think those three things is what sets us up for the hand and the, the work of the master. Yeah, I am. Um, it's easier said than done. I mean, it's simple, but Absolutely. it's also really, really difficult. But one of the things I just wonder, when you hear this term blank canvas, it can be easy to think I've already messed that up. Like I've already gotten to a point where I'm not a blank canvas. I'm a canvas that has just like terrible, unpretty things already on it. What would you say to someone who feels like they're not presenting with a blank canvas, they're presenting with a, an ugly canvas? Yeah, so I'll just use um, really the, the concepts found in Scripture. I put your sin as far as the east is from the west. We have a harder time forgetting our sins than he does, mm -hmm. right? So behold, I'm making all things new. There's a way of reclaiming canvas. I don't even like that phraseology because I think it's where the metaphor breaks down because like, oh, we got to strip all this pain away. No, no, he makes it new. Like he starts again. And um, that's the beauty of grace. I could try to give you a better answer, but I think it just muddies it. The mm -hmm. bottom line is, the master knows how to take what's broken and make it new again. So, you know, that we sang songs as a kid that I love that, that included phraseology like, he makes us white as snow. Um, that's, the, that's the power of grace, like that Jesus came and died and shed his blood in order to take what was broken in you and through the blood of Jesus, make all things new and move forward and build something beautiful. Well, you know, I don't have 60 years worth of like the person who's next to me who's not messed up and has, look, it, that comparison will kill you. The grace of God says, I'm making things new and building in the season what's necessary to expand the kingdom of God through and in you. You just have to be okay with saying, my heart's ready. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great answer. I just know sometimes that idea of blank canvas or even... I mean, we didn't do this on purpose. I don't think you did, but there's this like theological concept called tabula rasa that means the slate is wiped clean. Mm -hmm. That is what this reminds me of a little bit that traditionally there have been people who have struggled with that in faith of like, I can't have a blank slate. Like I can't have a blank canvas. And the reality is because of his goodness, that is possible. Yeah. That's and some, crazy. Of the, some of the hesitation though, Ash, I, I, Pastor Ashley, sorry, just called you Ash. Um, <laughs> some of the hesitation I think that people have is less that God can't forgive them and more like they want to hold on to some of that thing. Mm -hmm. That makes you a horrible canvas and, and, and makes it challenging. And because 
I said this Sunday, and I think people struggled a little bit with it, but I believe it, that God is a God of invitation, the first invitation that he lays out to you to come. Mm -hmm. But then the second invitation is him waiting for you to say, you know, breathe, like breathe in. I think that that's critical because I don't think God's going to force himself on you. I don't, I don't ever see that biblically. I see God waiting for his children to finally say, we screwed up. That's where repentance is, right? Mm -hmm. I've screwed up. I haven't done this right. I'm inviting you in not to, um, you know, bless what I've done, but to make me new and show me what's next. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So the, the last kind of thing that you talked about as far as God's Ruach in creation is this idea that the spirit was hovering. Yes. And um, I have to admit, like, I kind of know what the word hover means because I think about, like, hovercraft or a helicopter. But um, I don't think I have a full picture of what it, like, what it means to be hovering. So this is me hoping that maybe someone else is wondering the same thing and saying, what does it mean that the spirit's hovering? Um, as a kid, I had this tendency to hover over people. Um, it just it was always that I was present mm -hmm. and close and closer than they were comfortable with, but close. I was always there. They couldn't read something without me looking over their shoulder like <laughs> that. To me, when I read that passage this week, that's the first thought I had. Interesting. Right. Like this idea that your presence is close, you know, even in the dark, empty and formless seasons. I think it, there's a part of this that should challenge us to know that God is always present. Well, John, that means that he sees the worst of me. Absolutely. It should challenge you to make the worst of you better, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it also should encourage you that there is, you know, gosh, I, I wish I had my notes with me, but... Um, I have my app notes if that's you okay. want That's okay. That's <laughs> okay. Um, I think it's the psalmist who says, or David who says, I make my bed in hell and there you are with in me. In Psalm 139. Psalm, yeah, yeah, David. Mm -hmm. So... That's such an incredible picture of hovering, right? Like I often say the only proximity shift we ever see in God isn't that he ever moves farther, but that he actually moves closer and he moves closer when we're brokenhearted. So I, I think even as an artist myself, there are seasons where I am uh, waiting for the right canvas to produce the right piece of art. Um, I think for the spirit of God, he's just waiting with with anticipation so i think that hovering is just no i'm here yeah i'm here in your brokenness like when it's dark and lonely and you feel like it's empty i'm here and if you ask me to we can start the process of building but if you don't i'm still here mm -hmm. and i think it speaks to his proximity his desire to be close yeah that um that helps a lot to move it in my head it was always just like above you know like a helicopter is high but not as high as an airplane so it's hovering and, um, and so that, that makes it make a little bit more sense when we talk about what it means to, to kind of issue that invitation to the spirit of, I do want you to fill me. I know that you're close. And so you hit on this in the service and I, I don't think there was anyone who didn't feel like their toes were stepped on a little bit and like a, in a including good convicting me. way. Yeah yeah. 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 Oh, I'm including you in that. Um, but you talked about what it means to be sober-minded, and I'll read the passage, um, if I can scroll to the bottom. So Ephesians 5, right? Yeah, Ephesians 5, 15 to 20 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. 
Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so what, what does it look like to live lives of invitation, invitation for the Spirit to fill us? Yeah, so the word ruach there is used to describe the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It's actually Numa. not ruach, yeah. it's the, the, the Greek, Greek equivalent, equivalent yeah. which is pneuma. Um, but what he starts the passage off is this warning against drunkenness. Um, and we can't talk about alcohol because, I mean, he's really stern. I think for 2,000 plus years, the church really did agree on this initial thought that whether you be believed in it's okay to have a sip of alcohol once in a while or absolute abstinence, nobody agreed that drunkenness was good. Like mm -hmm. there's no there's no fighting that right. phraseology of drunkenness. And, and it explains why. That drunkenness leads to foolishness, bad decisions. That drunkenness can transform your life in a moment. And we see that like within the scope of, of, of culture. And, and unfortunately, in the, the work of ministry over years, you see kind of how that drunkenness kind of can destroy lives. In the same breath, I'm going to say we often find drunkenness on other things besides alcohol, whether mm -hmm. it's drunk on pride, drunk on ego. Um, sometimes we self-medicate in, in order to avoid, and in that self-medication, whether that's actual medication or it's, you know, habits. And, um, you know, you talk to a person who has an addiction like to pornography or a person who has an addiction to caffeine, which, mm -hmm. you know, again, across the board, you can almost, whatever it is that's your quote-unquote drug of choice or drink of choice, uh, Paul would say be careful because, again, in order for the Spirit to fully f uh, fill us, there has to be a soberness to how we're navigating life. We can't be so filled with other things that we're not allowing the Spirit of God to fill us, that we're not inviting the Spirit of God in. And if you you just kind of see it, you know, the distractions of life, the the, the, the every time I'm tired or every time I need courage or every time I want joy, I'm going to these things instead of the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. So I think from a really practical place, one of the things about being filled with the Spirit is, John, how do I do that? Well, I think it comes down to that same kind of relationship. Like in those seasons when you need courage instead of going for the drink, it's a conversation with the Lord saying, I need you to fill me right now. When you know you're going to have those tough conversations and you need wisdom, it's not going to that coffee to calm your nerves, but it's, God, I need you to fill me, that I would be calm and step into this conversation with wisdom, that you would be honored in it all. Again, not that these things without moderation, that some of these things without moderation. I'm even thing. laughing a little bit because I'm like, whose coffee calms their nerves? <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but but it, I know what you're saying. But I will, I will also tell you, it's a little funny because, again, chemically, we can go on these mm -hmm. tangents, but really, there comes a point where it, it's less about the what the chemistry of the coffee and more about just the way that my neurons are wired in my head and the feeling that I get holding something in my hand. Um, you know, it's the reason why when it comes to even with drugs, that that first high is great, but then they spend the rest of their lives chasing that high because the chemistry changes. And what I'm looking for is that feeling. Mm -hmm. So I say all that to simply say, like when it comes to the spirit of God, we need to learn how to find a dependency on him and, be in that constant place where you're asking the Spirit of God to fill you. Now, I know my theological, my theology buffs are going to struggle with this concept because like, oh, the Spirit of God's already in you. But we do see a difference between the dwelling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit mm -hmm. biblically. And, uh, you know, we don't want to go too far down on a tangent, but I do think that so much of the filling of the Spirit is this concept of just 
laying out invitation, fill me, Lord. So how do you figure out how to do that without like removing everything from your life? Because um, I feel like there can be this tendency to hear something like that and be like, oh, that means I need to get rid of my TV, get rid of my coffee, throw out my computer and YouTube and everything that could distract me. Um, and yet I don't think, I mean, there are times like Jesus literally says, if your eye is causing you to sin, yeah. gouge it out. So there are times that call for drastic moves on our part. But um, but how, how do you find that, like, how do you determine what needs to change? What is something that you're using to numb or fill you versus something to relax and enjoy time? Yeah, um, I do think you use some phrasing there that I think is helpful. Um, if it's used to numb, if it if there's an addictive nature to it, it's time to put it away. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that thing is. Uh, and I know that that's a lot easier said than done, so hear me. I'm not trying to minimize that process. But if you find yourself at a place where you can't go a day without a thing, um, you know, gosh, I, I'm going to convict so many coffee people, and I don't mean to. Like, this isn't the thing. <laughs> I'll take but a sip of my coffee while yeah, you're talking. Um, <laughs> but regardless what it is, whether it's coffee or w- whatever it is, if you can't go a day without that thing, if you, you've grown dependent on that thing, there's a really good chance that you probably just need to put it away for a season. Um, not that you won't ever get back to it, but, and again, with specifically, it's a little tough because there are things like we're talking about TV, mm-hmm. but I don't want you to translate that to, you know, just put the crack away for a little while and then you can come yeah, back to yeah, the crack later. Like there's, it's there's, a nuanced conversation. There's a nuanced conversation yeah. beyond the shadow of a doubt. But I do think uh, you need to, from time to time, take inventory of those things that you're dependent on. Um, and and make sure that they're in the right place, because mm-hmm. ultimately that's what will steal that that time away from the spirit of God. In uh, in in quite honestly, if it's not satisfying that thing you think it is, right? Because it never does. Um, that joy is temporary. That peace is temporary. His isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, that joy is everlasting. That peace, because it's Him, is everlasting. That love is everlasting. So. I think you need to do that inventory work that's necessary to say, what in my life do I, am I, have I grown dependent to? What do I need to cut away? And then more importantly, because I think sometimes people go through the extreme of I got to empty this all out. I think the, the question that's also important is what are you filling it in with? <laughs> because if you empty out without filling in, something else will take its place. <laughs> I, think, I think some of this is also a matter of I, I feel like it's good to do the work of trying to fill even as you're emptying because that filling will also work to flush some of that stuff that you're not even thinking about out. Yeah, yeah that's good. Well, um, where are we headed in week two of this series? You know what? I don't have my notes in front of me. I know it's exciting. And we're I at that think pace. it's dry bones. Is it dry bones? I think so. We're at that place in the series that everything is lumped up together still <laughs> in my head. Um, I think it's dry bones. And if it is, so excited to just consider the idea that God calls us to speak to the winds, that mm-hmm. there's a connectivity between what I can, like he puts me in the middle of this thing and says, no, this is something you can speak to in order to bring life to dead things, and I cannot wait. Yeah, and if it's not this Sunday, it's coming soon. Yes. But I think it's this Sunday. I think so too. <laughs> well, we will be right here 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We think talking about dry bones, but um, but whatever it is, it'll be about Ruach. That's right. And we'll see you then. Go Panthers. Happy birthday, Joey. Happy birthday, Joey.